Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmer, your host today. I'm joined by two of the finest. First of all, our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away, although right now, while the World Cup's on, it's pretty much home all the time, isn't it, Paul Ghost? It is until next week, yeah. yeah. Um, all, sorry, go on. Go on. No, no, just, yeah. Very, very much home at the moment. Um, very much home. Sitting in the office a few You'll be, uh, be headed away next week, though, won't you? Yes, off to Dubai um, Friday morning to um, follow Liverpool around like a bad smell around Dubai and <laughs> see uh, see how we get on. A couple of friendlies and um, well, probably be quite an important um, training training. Um, well, a couple of weeks of training for them before the return of the of the, the main stuff. So yeah, it should be good. Um, and I think I think with Liverpool having the full pretty much a full complement of of players there, that'll make the the friendly seem a little bit more important, shall we say, and maybe a little bit more intense than what we'd normally get after playing in Thailand with most of the under 18s and 23s. What's the, what's the tournament called that they're playing in? The Dubai Super Cup. Dubai Super Cup. Yeah. Be good. Be good to add that to the um, the Anfield <laughs> Trophy cabinet, wouldn't it? Yeah. Along with the um, the Thailand, did they win the Thailand Super Cup in the summer or Singapore? What, what was it? Any did they lift a trophy in the summer? They got beat in the Bangkok match of the century. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, then, and, then, and then they beat Crystal Palace in the battle for eternity uh, in Singapore. So well, that's, that's what's going on. Well, as you can all tell, that is also working full-time. Well, sometimes he works full-time. Other times he, um, he works slightly part-time. Is our chief Liverpool reporter also <laughs> broke home and away? Can I just pick you up on that? <laughs> if there's any part time out of us three, it's you, Joe. Oh, thanks. Masquerading thanks, as the masquerading as the big man. Come on. <laughs> there's nothing big about me. Go on. Uh, how are you, Dorley? You okay? Enjoying this World Cup? I'm enjoying it. I'll be enjoying it even more after today because I'm off for a while. So yeah, uh, you can you can properly enjoy it while Dorley uh, my ghost he goes off to Dubai. So, uh, but most dramatic day probably the World Cup yesterday with the Japan, the Japan game. What what are we both thinking, Gorsi? What what are you thinking of the World Cup at the moment? Have you have you enjoyed it? What have you thought of the, the football? Um, it's been it's been difficult to get up for it, hasn't it? Um, yeah. the best thing I can say for it is the is the game times and the group stages were ten o'clock in the morning and then what was it four and then and then seven. I I just love that seven o'clock kickoff slot. All your matches done and dusted before nine o'clock, and then you can. Turn over to the White Lotus or whatever it is you're watching at the moment. Um, so I'll say that for it. Um, I quite enjoyed coming in the office and sticking a game on at ten o'clock and, and having one of me two monitors dominating dominated by the forty while I crack on on the, on the other monitor. But it's been hard getting into it, hasn't it? With these, with so many issues around, there's so many obviously serious issues around. You know, it, it's just the, the the Qatari stance on same-sex relationships and and all the migrant workers who. Perished, you know, putting up, putting the stadiums together. 
Um, so it's been difficult to park that for me and get into it and, and truly kind of think, oh, well, is this a World Cup? So I haven't enjoyed it too much, if I'm being honest. But um, <clears throat> I think last night was certainly, you know, a, a little bit a little bit more enjoyable. I, I just find a lot of the games have been a bit, you know, sterile as well. Isn't that always um, the case though in the World Cup, especially in the group stage? Yeah. You're always going to get pretty sterile games, aren't you? I mean, and then you get the odd bit of drama like you did last night. Yeah. But yeah, but yesterday was good for the the drama of all. You know, mm-hmm. at one point Costa Rica and Japan were going through and Spain and Germany were going out and then they're all turned around and yeah. Germany have gone out. I had Germany in the in the echo sweepstake, and nice, so they're out. But my uh, Japanese boys are, are flying the flag for me, so oh, at least I've still got a little bit of interest in it. Yeah, and you mentioned the white noses there. I'm not going to hijack this podcast and talk all about that, but I, I really could. Doyle, did you enjoy the Germans going out last night? Um, no. Why would anybody take any joy out of Germany being eliminated from any major competition, especially anybody from England? That's a terrible thing to say, Joseph. We're supposed to be bringing the divide. Europe united. What we voted for, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Anyway, um, bit of politics there in the yeah, podcast. The World Cup. I think it's too many games have been really boring for me, and the reason they've been boring is because too many teams have just been defensive. Like Japan, there've been some good stories. Japan getting through, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, even England winning against Iran six two. You know, they're they're good stories, but too many of the of the teams are just look at Japan. I think that they had the lowest percentage of any team ever to since they started counting it to actually win a game in the World Cup and they've done they're, they're the lowest two, the one against Germany and the one against Spain. I mean mm. I mean obviously covering Liverpool, we see teams come to Anfield well a bit less this season, but teams come to Anfield and just put everybody behind the ball and then hope for the best. And because teams have had no preparation time, it's a lot easier just to sort of defensively just get players behind the ball. Harder to get your attacking patterns right. And I think Possibly a bit later in the competition, some of the better teams will start performing a bit more. But so too many of the games have been a bit dull, and it hasn't helped that too many players have been playing for too long. You look at you know Belgium's team; they were terrible. They yeah, should have yeah. been dis- not disbanded, but certainly some of them shouldn't have been playing anymore. Disbanded, disband Belgium as a country. <laughs> <laughs> even 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 Croatia, you know Modric, he's past his best. You could argue Messi, definitely Ronaldo. Suarez, although we're recording this, he'll probably go and score five against Ghana before yeah. saving two penalties, which he's not supposed to. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and and of course, there's so many good attackers out there. I think I worked it out that there were eight forwards came out of the Champions League final. Obviously, Liverpool, Real Madrid in May. And six of them out there, either not picked, not qualified or got injured. So I do think that's something that it's perhaps counted against it, but you know, I know we don't agree on this, but I still think it's better than the Premier League, which I think is desperately dull. <laughs> well, I, I always think I, I think we look favourably on the World Cups because you you think about the, the dramatic knockout moments. But just thinking back, and this is a random example off the top of my head, and I'm sure you can counter with other arguments. But you know, I, I look back at 2002 in Japan and Korea, and I quite enjoyed that tournament. I don't really know why. I think it was just a strange kickoff times. But the, the group stage England played in, wasn't it? Nil nil against Nigeria, one one against Sweden, and then the one nil win against Argentina. And mm. I, and I just that's how I always see the group stage of the World Cup is just a really sort of sterile exercise where usually the better teams just about squeak through, and there's the odd shock, but by and large the the the, um, the lower ranked teams all sort of pile out. And then you get the one team that gets through like South Korea did that year and and, and they sort of become the narrative for the, the, the knockout stages until 
the best team wins it. And I, I don't know, I just don't find the World Cup and international football in general that exciting until you get to those bigger games. And yeah, you know, when Brazil play France or whoever, you know, it, it generally is all right. But I know what you mean. But Belgium have, and Belgium have never been great to watch in recent years. And, you know, I think that's fair to say. And Argentina aren't exactly the most exciting. So, yeah. Anyway, but no one wants to sit here and talk about the World Cup for that long. So we'll move on. And um, we're going to talk about fans football of the year because Reach, um, for the third year running, is, is running their, their own fans football of the year award. Um, there are two awards. There's a national one, uh, which Mohamed Salah is almost guaranteed to win. He's, he's won the last two. And um, I believe he's probably going to be out in front in the in the voting for this one. But there's also a local one, so we'll talk a bit more about that um, and, and the Liverpool contenders uh, for that award. So, Dory, I'll stay with you um, because we're going to give our own contenders um, early next week. And spoilers for the written side of things. I know you're going to go for Allison, aren't you? And um, you know, I massively agree. But just give us the reasons why you think Allison has been Liverpool's. Um, MVP of 2022. Um, never say MVP again. Thank you very much. <laughs> football. Um, I think the reason I chose Alison is because when we got asked the question, I was the first one to answer. I think everybody else would have said Alison. <laughs> we can't choose the same person. Sorry, Gorsty. Um, but Alison, well, just this season alone, if it wasn't for him, Liverpool, while they've been in a bit of a struggle this season, it wasn't for him to be a worse situation, certainly in the, in the Premier League. I know we don't really like to talk too much about stats, certainly expected goals and stuff like that. It's certainly out of context, but there is a certain value when you do put them into context. And in terms of the shots that he's faced, I think Alisson has done more, saved more expected goals than any other goalkeeper in the Premier League, but by a long way, like by about five goals, or certainly double, almost double the next person in line, which I think might be Pickford. I'm not entirely sure. I think it might be Pickford, but that kind of underlines what, what he's been like. I mean, but you don't need the stats to see what he's done. And this is just talk of the last three or four months. You know, at the end of last season, he was integral to Liverpool. You say the penalty in the FA Cup final, didn't he? So, yeah, he helped them win that. And he didn't play in the League Cup final. But he played in the semi-final uh, against Arsenal, didn't he? I can't remember which, I think he may have played in the second leg, I think. Well, he's played in what? Yes, he's played in the second leg, which obviously Liverpool got through then as well. He made a, I think, did he make a good save from Odegaard or someone like that? I seem to recall. That could have been the league game around that time as well, to be fair. But just his overall performances... I mean, if you look at Brazil, there was a time when possibly Edison was the first choice goalkeeper or the pair of them were competing. And, you know, and Edison is a very good goalkeeper, but now Alisson is quite clearly the number one there. And he's the number one goalkeeper in the Premier League. And there's an argument to say, I'd say he's the best goalkeeper in the world. Then Liverpool were unlucky in the Champions League final. They came up against Courtois, who uh, had a very good game. He's a good goalkeeper. But we saw in the World Cup just recently that because you're a good goalkeeper doesn't mean you can't make mistakes on the big stage. And the problem for Liverpool is that Courtois have made it in the World Cup rather than the Champions League final. But Alisson, going back to him, all the way through the season, all the way through you know, the second half of last season, because this is obviously based on the year as a whole, there isn't anybody, any goalkeeper who can touch him really. Although, because of what happened in the Champions League final, Courtois has been taking all the main honours. I'd have said it was Alisson. So if he's the best, it's very rare that Liverpool... Have had the best player in a particular position in the world, but under Jurgen Klopp, they've had the best defender in Virgil Van Dijk. They've had the best attacking right back in Trent. They've had the best at one point, certainly uh, last year, best player in the world in Salah. And now they've got they've got the best goalkeeper. Allison's probably been the best goalkeeper for three or four years now. Of course, he, 
Alison, I've got a little theory on goalkeepers that they have careers, especially the good ones, that, that follow the same pattern, which is they burst in the sea and everyone gets very excited about them. Or they, they go to a club and everyone gets very excited about them. And then we take them for granted for ages until towards the end of their careers when they're still 36, 37, still doing really good stuff. Then they leave and you go, oh my God, they were really good. Has Alisson reached that bit of a stage in his career where perhaps not Liverpool fans, but certainly the wider football world would take him for granted a little bit, do you think? Yeah, I think he, he might be a little bit um, slightly underrated from fans outside the, the, the kind of mm-hmm. Liverpool bubble. Because you don't see him making too many wonder saves. Um, you know, if you put a highlight reel together of Alisson saves, they'd all be kind of um, just like smothering the angle of a one-on-one and, and staying big and staying on his feet. He doesn't really make a save from, you know, 25 yards and he's, he's, tipped, he's got his fingertips to it or, or anything like that. He tends to just do everything to a really high standard so he doesn't have to. Know, whether it's just shuffling to his left a little bit earlier than other, another goalkeeper might, so it makes the save look a little bit more comfortable. Um, so I think he might even be a little bit underrated from outside of, you know, Liverpool people who watch, watch Liverpool every week. I mean, he, he's he's been he's been outstanding, hasn't he? Um, just so difficult to get past. You know, when you think you've finally broken the the rear guards of Van Dijk and Matip or Canate or whoever it is, and then you. You're still going to get past Allison. He's um, it, it's just it's one of the reasons why Liverpool had the best defensive record in Europe's top five leagues last season. Um, them alongside Man City, I think they conceded 25 or something goals. And that was the lowest out, out of all the top five leagues. And Allison was was instrumental in that. So um, I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree with with Doyle's take. Only that I've got to because he's written about Allison so I'm going to have to write about something else. So um, it's um. It's a weird one, really, because you can kind of look at Liverpool. This is obviously a calendar year thing, isn't it? So, the first half of this last of this year, Liverpool were absolutely mm. flying, weren't they, and putting together some of the some of the best performances and, and results that you, you've seen. And then since August, they've been on a little bit of a rocky road. So, it's, it's a difficult one to judge in terms of um, picking an absolute outstanding candidate. And I probably would go with Alisson, but as a result, I'll have to go with someone else. So we'll uh, see what we come up with next week. Yeah, well, Doily, in all your years watching football since it was invented in the late 1800s, have you yeah. seen a better player in one-to-ones with that, than Alisson? Uh, let me just wrap my brain. Did they have goalkeepers in the 1700s? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, Lev Yashin, did you watch him live? How old do you think I am? <laughs> You've got to be nearly 40 anyway. In the early half of my thirties, I'll have you know. Uh, I don't believe that for a second. Come on. Um, what was the question? Oh yeah, in terms of one to ones, well, Schmeichel's the other one, isn't it? I mean, they were the two. I do think Alison. I agree with what Gorsty said in terms of he is not appreciated perhaps as much outside of Anfield as uh, as he is inside of Anfield or, or Liverpool supporters anyway. But I do think that's changed a little bit. And I think certainly if Brazil do really well in the World Cup, it will change then as well. Suddenly people will start going, oh, look at this. It's like, well, hang on. He's already won all these competitions and he's done all these saves and he's kept these clean sheets. He's got these records. So, you know, what have you been doing? The other thing as well, obviously, he fits into Liverpool's style of play because he's a sweeper-keeper. Although no one says that anymore because so many of them are. And that he's very good with his feet. And he's got that great trait that it's an interesting one with goalkeepers. Some goalkeepers can be... They look really good because they play in teams that make 
they give away loads of chances and they get a chance to make loads of saves. Like they might be man of the match in a 4-0 defeat, which is, you know, good for your reputation. Not so great if you're playing for a leading club because they might not give away loads of chances. There might only be like two chances or somebody gets a chance. And I'm thinking of the, like the, go back to the Napoli game in the Champions League in 2018, that group stage where I think he had next to nothing to do. Liverpool go 1-0 ahead. At the end, Milik has that chance and he makes the save. And that's concentration levels that just doing the basics right and then being ready for when you need to be called upon. And that's what he's very, very good at. And that's why he's at a big club and why he's one of those few goalkeepers who can who can do that because of his concentration levels and that he's always on top of his game. Like any keeper, he makes mistakes. But the fact that such a big deal are made about them when he does underlines that he doesn't make that many. He's hugely calm as well, isn't he? I mean, he doesn't... When he does make a mistake, you don't often see his performance levels dip, do you? Not really. I mean, and the fact that one of the most notable things about his World Cup so far is that he's got he had a lovely tash for a bit. Oh, so, yeah. you know, otherwise, they've not got not got much else to speak about him because I don't even think he's had a shot to save, has he? In the in the two games where we've been recording this, I don't think the opponents have had a shot on target. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. They're very solid Brazil, haven't they? Rather than, than flashy so far, they seem to be um, a more functional outfit than I than I expected. Them to but it's all, it's all those it's all those United players, isn't it? Any team's going to become functional when they're in it. Of course, the, if you'd have been quicker in the WhatsApp group, you'd have had Allison, but you weren't. So, um, <laughs> who have you ended up with, and, and why do you think they're in it with the shout of being Liverpool? Yeah, fans I, I, I think this uh, the initial list was from something I put together, and I think I chose Thiago Diaz, Salah. Allison and was, was that it? Was that, was that the list in total? Um, I was I was weighing up going with Luis Diaz because it's slightly easier to, to judge him because he's literally only been here since January, hasn't he, or, or the beginning mm-hmm. of February? So it's easier to, to look at, at his Liverpool career in, in that kind of time capsule as opposed to Salah at the beginning of the year was was coming off that end of year form and carrying it in, and up, but then he had the Africa Cup of Nations, didn't he? But I've eventually, I've eventually gone with Salah just because I don't think he was at his scintillating best <clears throat> once he got back from the Africa Cup of Nations, and I can't remember the the um, the facts and the stats around his participation for Egypt in that tournament. I did do something on it a couple of weeks ago, but basically he played played pretty much every minute. He got brought off in the 18th minute of one of the games, um, and he played every other minute, and he and every single knockout game they had went to penalties, so. I think when he came back from that, he was absolutely drained, wasn't he? But I think he was still desperate to show that he wasn't. And almost, as a result, was trying too hard. So I think he only scored um, eight of his of his 31 goals from February onwards, um, which shows you how, how good he was in the first half of that season. But then I just think this season, he's picked up a little bit, hasn't he, after a bit of a slow start, which, which everyone has, has endured. And he's, is he on 14 now for the season? So... Across the calendar year, he's, he's getting close to, to 25 goals. He might he might still even finish 2022 with, with 25 or more, mightn't he? So um, I think he hasn't been at his absolute best that he was 
possibly around about 12 months ago, a little bit more, but um, still possibly done enough to earn a, a nod as well. And if it's um, if it's a public vote, we know there is a door in public out in Egypt will eventually <laughs> make sure he wins anyway. Yeah, I mean, it speaks volumes, doesn't it, Doily, that whenever we talk about Salah and we sort of, you know, you calculate his goals there and, and Gorsi's going, oh, well, you know, you know, he was... He wasn't at his scintillating best, but he's got 25 this year. I mean, he's got he's going to have 25 goals in the calendar year. He, he always just keeps these levels, doesn't he? These incredible levels. Um, whether he seems to be playing well or badly, he scores goals, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he always posts the numbers, doesn't he? I mean, it, it, we thought for a little while that he perhaps he was slowing down, and then look what he's done over the past, you know, well, before, before the season stopped. In those two months, he scored most of his goals then, so... And he, he keeps on delivering the big games, winner against Man City, scored in the in the Community Shield against them as well. So, you know, he's still the go-to man for Liverpool when it comes to goals. He's actually been playing in a slightly different position. But I think, this, obviously, with Nunes coming in and Mane going, Liverpool and Diaz and Jota haven't been out. They're still trying to fathom a way about to get the best out of the forwards they got available. Uh, Liverpool did kind of strike on something towards the... Uh, Towards the end of, of that first part of the season, of course, he scored the two goals at, uh, at Tottenham as well. And a big win there, a massive win. That might end up being for, for Liverpool's season, certainly uh, giving them a bit of momentum going into the second part of the season. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's been like that from day one. Was he scored in the, uh, his debut against Watford, wasn't it, away? should remember I was there. Um, and since then, he's just, he, he hasn't really stopped. I mean, of course, he's had a bit of a dip after the, you know, the, uh, what happened to Egypt and of course what happened to the World Cup qualifier as well Yeah, you know the whole lights thing which would have been exceptionally annoying at the time but then would have been even more annoying afterwards when you think about it for him but you know he still helped Liverpool get to a Champions League final win an FA Cup although of course he came off did he come off in the final or the semi-final I can't remember now it was the no, final, no. wasn't it? It doesn't feel as though it's actually stopped. This season just was a continuation of last season. So for certainly for Liverpool. And I think again, look I'd love to know. I I haven't done this research myself ahead of this, how many games Salah actually played in you know between January the what was it you played at Chelsea? January the 1st or 2nd, I can't remember. I think it was the 2nd, wasn't it? All the way through to the game against Southampton. Must have played so many games this year. And nearly all of them were like, oh, no, got to win this one. And that takes a lot out of you. But for, for Salah, he keeps on, you know, as we said, scoring those goals. Not just the goal, the assist as well. So, yeah, I think if if things have been slightly different after the African Cup of Nations, I think... Uh, I'd have been answering Salah in the WhatsApp group. Would have been quickest on the fingers there, but uh, sadly it wasn't to be. You can't have a feel, can you, Gorsi, that this little break, I mean, it obviously was heartbroken not, not to reach the World Cup, but this little break will do him the world of good in terms of club football. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Just because, <clears throat> as the, the point that he makes there, the, the amount of games that... But he's played this calendar year. Um, he's played. Well, he's played. I've just been looking there while you were talking. Though he's played twenty-one for Liverpool this season, um, and I've about halfway through counting last season. So he he's played a, a, an extraordinary amount, particularly when you add in all the minutes he will have played for Egypt as well, Jordan, the Africa Cup of Nations. 
So yeah, maybe <clears throat> a few weeks off. He's he's been been able to recharge, hasn't he? I know he played that one game for Egypt against Belgium um, in a in a win. Um, but since then he's he's been on his on his holidays. Um, so we'll be ready to go in, in Dubai, and I think I think it could be vital actually for for um, for Liverpool as a whole to kind of refresh and recharge, particularly with most of the squad being there, being in Dubai. You know, we've only got seven at the World Cup. So it's, um, I think it could be ideal, and we could be talking about Salah flying out of the traps next year. You know, the start of January, talking about him being back to the levels he was at last year when he was, as we say, one of the best players in the world. I won't lie to you, Gorsi. I didn't listen to a single word you said then because I heard Frankie bark five times. It's, it just uh, filled me with, yeah. just filled me with joy. I just I love it. What's he thing on this pod? Yeah, yeah. Is he? What's he saying? Is he voting for? Oh. He's, he's probably he's probably gone with Allison. He's a student of the game. He, he knows the stuff. Yeah. Plus, he's you know what goes to the same as you, Willie. Always agrees with Doily. No, he weirdly <laughs> voted for the cat. <laughs> Voting for the cat. It, it, very That's good. good very good. Very good. good, very good, good. Like that, yeah. Well, on that note, um, uh, uh, so a shout out to vote in the uh, in the Reach Fan Footballer of the Year awards. I suppose the easiest place to go and find that vote is on our LFC Live blog. Um, it'll be in there every day. So, so go and find that. Vote in both of them, and if you're from Egypt. Carry on voting, get Salah to make it a hat trick. Why not? Let's um, let's not let anyone else win this award ever nationally. Let's always win <laughs> Salah, even when he finishes playing. Let's keep winning. So yeah, we'll move on from that. Um, not a great deal going on this week, Liverpool wise, but a little bit of news coming out of Boston yesterday, gents. Um, the Boston Globe reporting that FSG, rather than sell the club outright, are um, favouring a partial sale of the club. Um, to try and boost the funds for, for player recruitment and other such things. Gorsi, um we're often called FSG apologists at the Echo, but but what are your thoughts on that? Would you say that is, is the is the best outcome for all parties or, or not? Um, it, it could be, couldn't it? I think if you look at the, the only kind of outright sale I could see Liverpool doing would be to, or FSG doing would be to, a similar kind of American organisation in, in the same way that Chelsea have been taken over. I think there'd be too many moral issues raised with had it been, you know, another arm of the public investment fund of, of Saudi Arabia, per se, or, or whether Qatar fancied getting involved in, in the Premier League. Um, I think the, the LFC supporters board would be inundated with kind of a lot of concerns around that. And I think... I think the, the kind of American ownership group is is the, the most likely route towards FSG's exit strategy. So I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised at all if they did kind of just look to to uh, you know sell sell off a little bit of the club um, for investments in certain areas of the club. But I think they're really well placed. You know, for all the kind of iffy results they've had since the start of August, everything else about the club is so well set up. They're going to be uh, playing in front of the sixty-one thousand. Cheetah Stadium next season. They've got a brand new training ground that's only two years old, fifty million pound structure that probably rivals anything else in Europe. Um, on the pitch, most of the top players are tied down, aren't they? You look at the last sort of eighteen months or so of contracts, they've, they've tied down everyone. I'm mean, Van Dijk, Allison, Salah, everyone from from that kind of level of player to the likes of Jota, Joe Gomez, Curtis Jones. Um, so everywhere across the the football club as a whole, aside from a a small period of results in the last few months is set up for someone to come in and just take it to the next level. And when you're looking at it and you're thinking, 
the only real thing that Liverpool need is just a bit of significant investment at certain times, like the summer just gone. Then it paints a picture of a of a club who uh, are ready to be, you know, um, ready to to take it all on. They're not a club who are going to need hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds of investment just to kind of get a little bit further up the table. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm looking at it with me me red tinted glasses on or whatever, but I just think there's just so many things that are going in Liverpool's favour that they're ready to kind of go again if they just get that little bit of investment right on the pitch because we know from Liverpool's recruitment over the last few years that when they spend big they, they do get it right and, they, and they, they've got the people working within the structure to get it right so if they've got that working for them and um, you know a significant war chest for lack of a better phrase then I just think everything's set up for them to uh, to really challenge again Just playing devil's advocate I mean it don't need, does this not if they get investment now and sell X amount of the club, and they come, they, you know, they they get they buy Bellingham, they buy whoever else with the with the money, and, and make any other changes they need to make. Does it not? If FSG have decided that they they want to sell or they're thinking about selling because of you know the likes of Newcastle now and Man City and the, the spending power that they have and that they can't compete, does it not just kick the can down the road a little bit further? You know, in terms of they get them in investment, but then they. Still, really going to be largely the same ownership group, um, with the same philosophies that that have gotten to where they are. Depends, does it? I mean, will City and Newcastle be able to spend it the way they are? I mean, used to say there's not some kind of rule change or something happens whereby that things have to move on. That's the do you really believe? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Do you really believe well, that well, there will be any? I mean, financial fair play came and went. Right, really, okay, let's put it this way: they're not they're not going to be owning them forever. Is the point? Oh, right. City and City and, and, and Newcastle. Yeah, they're not going to be opening them forever. I mean, Newcastle maybe not. But... Taken over, but see, look at City, and you just think, well, what's the end game here? What's going to happen if they are just promoting, you know, using it as a tool to what was the word? Legitimise. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and you know, promote whatever cause it is that they are. If that ever stops, well, they just get bored because that could happen. You know, people might things don't go on forever. They'll just go, well, we fancy a change. Now, the problem that FSG have got is whether or not they feel as though they want to hang around, should that ever happen? And the fact, it was a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it, they first came out in, in Boston that the Boston Globe, a newspaper owned by John Henry, so he'd like to think that they know what they're talking about, um, they said that they were open to a partial sale or somebody you know, buying a part of, buying a part of the club, a shareholdership in the club, not necessarily a full sale. And I think FSG would want that because then they get investments from somebody who, Probably got is it find someone who's going to be a silent partner doesn't want to have a big say because if someone hands over hundreds of millions of pounds they want to have a bit of a say in the club and you know it, it seems unrealistic to suggest that FSG would still be owning it the way that they would be so there's going to be a change regardless whether it's the manner in which they own it or the, them owning it full stop so yeah I do think that it I, I don't think FSG uh, want to let go of Liverpool because it's such a valuable asset for them and it could become even more valuable. Now that you know that the as Gorsi said, the Anfield Road end will be finished next season. Yeah, sorry, next summer, and ready for next season. And they could be getting more money in. And used to say that Liverpool don't go on and win a few more trophies, and their brand becomes even more, you know, commercially viable. So they can earn even more money off that, and the club has an even greater value that in three or four years they can sell it for even more. 
you know, it, that's the whole, well, these are business people. That's the decision they make. Maybe they've thought that now's a good time to not sell it, but explore and see just how much the club's actually worth, which I think is what they're doing at the moment rather than just actively looking to sell it. But I think they'll be very reluctant to hand over the club as a whole. And that's why I think they probably prefer to have an, an outs, you know, outside investment coming in and helping them along. But we've seen that that can cause problems with, uh, ultimately, that's what happened with to George Gillette. I'm not saying this is going to happen now, but George Gillette wanted to do old Liverpool, couldn't get enough money. It got Tomics involved and we all saw what happened then. Gorsi, do you think that perhaps in the last few weeks since the news broke that they were considering investments or selling the club outright, that perhaps they've they've had a little look at the types of people that have come to the table and decided that there's no one A serious enough or B um, perhaps good enough to to, to, to um, own Liverpool or to, to make that to make that part. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Quite possibly. We know that Mike Gordon's kind of taken a step back, hasn't he, from the from the day-to-day running of Liverpool to oversee essentially what's on the table and, and Golden Sachs and, and Morgan Stanley have been no doubt working overtime to to assess the lay of the land. Um and may, maybe that that is. I've got no doubt that FSG would, would think long and hard at every kind of serious proposal. And I think there'd be a number of quite significant checkpoints for them to, to have to pass before they think these are custodians who are going to you know, keep Liverpool um, well run and, and at the top of the game. I don't think that, that I mean, they're obviously you know, hard-nosed American business people and I don't for one second think that they came to, to be owners of Liverpool just by, you know, wistfully looking at pictures of the cop on YouTube or whatever. I do think that it was a serious business thing towards it, but I don't think that they, they'd be willing to just, you know, hand over the keys to anyone. I do think that they will have a certain level of, they want to see Liverpool continuing to prosper, you know, even when they're not owners. They, they probably have become, you know, fans as a result of, of their ownership, haven't they? It'd be strange to think that they hadn't. They'd have to be really kind of stone-hearted for them to just continue to think of it as an out-and-out business. Um, and maybe that kind of, um, you know, mark that they've put in has not been reached by, by anyone who's come forward. Um, so there's... Um, yeah, there's a few there's a few elements of play out there. <clears throat> um, we know that they're looking for <clears throat> four billion. Mm-hmm. If there is to be an outright change of hands, now you're wondering who's got that kind of money, who's going to come in, um, and pass all the kind of moral dilemmas that might come up as a result, um, and also have um, have the similar kind of philosophies. Um, but that's why I go back to, to thinking that. It might be, you know, a good idea just to to bring another kind of red bed on board. As it may be, no red bed bought it directly into FSG, didn't he? But if it was another kind of American, you know, um, hedge fund or whatever, 
um, and they promised to put down X amount of money for this, that and the other. I think that might still be Liverpool's best course of action going forward. Um, mm-hmm. But as nobody says, it's just a case of, you know, once you're at that point, is it already the beginning of the end of, of your overall ownership? But maybe they just haven't found anyone at the moment to um, tick all the boxes. Yeah, well, it's certainly very interesting. We'll see how it develops over the next weeks and months. But before we, we wrap this podcast up, we've got some um, some some user questions, user questions, viewer questions, listener questions. User questions. User questions. But they've mostly come to you, Gorsi, and, and most of them have come in the form of statements, which is always fun, but I will make them into questions. <laughs> um, so I'll do the hard work for them. So you know what? Um, you know what, we've just kind of discussed it, but we'll just quickly go over it again. Uh, we got one question to our YouTube channel from Mass A. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It just says, would a partial sale than selling all your shares later on quicker than out? Is that quicker than outright full sale of the club? Um, so I suppose that makes sense, doesn't it, in terms of in terms of them wanting to um, maybe test the water, see what a new partner's like, ghostly, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I I wouldn't know about that. I mean, that'd be one more one for for Dave Powell, I guess, who's our business of football writer. Yeah. It's um the the only thing we'd have to go on is is looking at other clubs who've had similar kind of issues with um either total outright sales or or partial investments coming on board. I mean, you look at Mike Ashley, was he was he looking to sell Newcastle for, for years and years? Some, some you know, Bill Bill Kenwright was looking for an Everton investor for years, wasn't he? And before Farhad Mashiri showed up, um, so I don't know. In all honesty, um, I'd imagine that it'd be quicker to sell some of the shares than it would be an outright sale. Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily profess to be an expert on on that aspect of um, of, of football, I guess. Something like how long is a piece of string? These sorts of things. Yeah. And it depends on the individuals involved, the number of shares, and, and and many other many other factors. But it's certainly going to be interesting. Doily, um, Harad Key um, says, "Perfect signing for Liverpool is Frankie De Jong. They should not hesitate that signing." Comment. That's a statement from. The- that is a statement, but I mean, <laughs> put that in a form of question: Is he the sort of profile of midfielder that they they need? I mean, we know that they need midfield recruits and we'll get on to another certain name in a minute which we've got a few questions on but Frankie De Jong obviously was um, you know the man in demand in the summer um, Liverpool's name sort of came in never really felt seriously did it but is he the sort of profile you think that would work in that midfield? Don't really know enough about him to be honest haven't seen enough of him playing in terms, yeah, of, his actual pro- in terms of his profile his age and teams he's playing for in his position then yeah but you know it's it's a bit more to it than that so I mean but Liverpool have shown in the past that when they decide on a player the type of player they tend to go after them and they don't kind of deviate too much from it mm-hmm. and uh, if he is somebody that fits the profile that they're looking for then yeah he'll be an option because they're going to look after they're going to look at all the options because they will be signing one possibly two midfielders in the next one or two transfer windows just to kind of give me own <clears throat> two cents on that, I, I think he would be ideal for Liverpool. <clears throat> to be honest, I think he's, he's only twenty five. Um, the the only issue is he doesn't particularly seem that keen on on leaving Barcelona, even though he decided to move heaven and earth to get rid of them to to Manchester United, didn't he? In in the summer, um, that was one that really dragged on every single day, wasn't it? But maybe um, 
maybe just didn't fancy to going to United at the time. Um, you know, they were a little bit in the doldrums with so much uncertainty over the managerial thing and whatever else. Liverpool, much more stable footing um, on the whole. But, you know, given his, his quality and his age, I think um, he'd be a, an ideal fit for Liverpool's midfield. Someone who can who can carry the ball over over quite you know large distances, 20, 30 yards. He's also got a great eye for a pass. Um, given what Liverpool need, that li- little bit more dynamism in midfield, I, I think he'd be, he'd be great for them. The only issue is, is he going to cost 80, 90 million euros or, or pounds? Could be wrong, yeah. He's played 157 games for Barcelona. I've just been looking. Yeah. You can tell that we uh, the league is not a scan anymore. I don't watch it. <laughs> do do you not think that's, another, that's, that's one reason why I'm seeing play? And Barcelona haven't been particularly great in the Champions League. So there you go. Do you not think, and this is to either one of you, um, the way Liverpool operate and, and the, the fact that they, they would have liked to have signed to Shemeni to uh, in the summer? Um, to <laughs> Go on, say it again. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I'll ever get that name right, but but yeah, do you not think, given the fact that Liverpool were willing to spend the money on another player, had they wanted Frankie De Jong in the way that Barcelona and I know he was digging his heels in over, I think, unpaid wages, that sort of thing, but the fact that Barcelona were, were open to selling, would Liverpool not have entered the race for him already had they wanted to buy him? Do you not think? Possibly, yeah, but I I don't know how how much of an issue the whole contracting was it just mm-hmm. it was just noise wasn't it to us we don't really yeah. cover it in great detail obviously it's not Liverpool related at the time it just sounded like Barcelona was trying to kick him out the back door and, and he held on because he hadn't been paid X amount of money in wages and it just seemed to be a lot of a lot of issues there which Liverpool probably not um, too keen to get involved in maybe that was one of the the sticking points, I think, quality-wise, as I say, I think he'd be ideal for them. But then again, it's very un-Liverpool, isn't it, to just go and take a player from Barcelona. You know, I think we'll declare our interest in a player at Barcelona and bring him high-profile player. And that's not really how they work, is it really? Well, sticking with you, Gorsley, we obviously have several questions about a player who does fit the bill for Liverpool, which is Jude Bellingham. We've all had a chance to watch him more regularly during this World Cup, and I think it's fair to say he has impressed. Um, what What do you believe the latest is on him? Is it Is it a case of is he somebody they could go for in January? Is it a case of waiting on investment? Where do Liverpool stand when it comes to Jude Bellingham at the moment? Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't see anything happening in January. If we're being honest, I think Dortmund are very keen to keep him for as long as they can, and, and um. I'd be absolutely astonished if Liverpool were able to, to do just, something. Just to interject, is there any chance of a, a sneaky little Naby Keita agreement in advance type deal? I mean, that, that's possibly a, a little bargaining chip that Liverpool have got, but Keita mm. can talk to clubs. Sorry, no, I meant, I meant like they signed Naby Keita. Oh, I see. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that was an unusual deal, wasn't it? I don't think Liverpool have done anything before and all since in terms of announcing a player it was about 10 months before he eventually signed wasn't it they announced him on August bank holiday and he, he came in the following summer at the start of July for pre-season training um, I've seen a few people kind of mention that as, as a possible um, example of why they could be able to do it with Bellingham I'm not sure really um, we know that Dortmund are desperate to keep him out it was interesting listening to uh, 
can't remember the guy's name. I was the managing director of Dortmund. He was speaking in Vietnam this Carson, week. And Carson Kramer was it or something? Yeah. Um, he basically said, you know, we, we, we like Liverpool. We, we respect Jürgen. We, we're still in touch with them, but we're not going to be giving Liverpool any gifts. And we expect not unless, of course. But, um, yeah, Liverpool, keen admirers of Mark It was interesting being in the press conference the day before the Southampton game and, and one of the journalists asked Klopp, Essentially, will the um, will the uncertainty around the club mean that you're going to be able to go for players like Jude Bellingham in the summer? And Klopp didn't even flicker. You know, he, he just answered the question. It wasn't even well, why are you asking about about him. You know, he plays for Dortmund and whatever else. He just answered the question. So I think it is a bit of an open secret at this point that Liverpool are massive admirers of him. Um, the problem is, 19 year old England international who seems to have it all. Um, they're not going to be the only ones who, who like him, are they? Um, I just wonder whether the boat was missed in terms of last summer when so many of the top clubs signed central midfielders and weren't necessarily looking for further additions, whether that won't be the case next summer when you know the, the window opens. I've got a slight concern when it comes to Duke Bellingham, Dorian. I wondered whether you share it. Is that well, if Liverpool do eventually get, get him, there's going to be so much pressure on him because of the build-up to this potential transfer. As, as Gorsi's just pointed out, he's 19. He's obviously a very, very, very good player, but you know, it's, it's rare that one player that young can, can transform a total midfield. Do, do you not think that Liverpool fans could be placing too much expectation on, on one man's shoulders? Don't be worrying about that. Just be worrying about signing first. Well, yeah. But this is in my hypothetical. If they do sign him, no, we don't do hypotheticals on the blood red, uh, on the blood red uh, podcast. Come on, Joe. You know it's this. the World we Cup. There's not a lot to talk about. Well, absolutely, we don't. Well, what happens? We, we know, absolutely don't have a lot of other, other things exactly, to talk yeah. about. You know, so. well, mercifully, we we will never write any stories on Jude Bellingham. Not put any extra pressure on him. Should he ever join Liverpool? <laughs> well, he can't. He can't come looking at us. So, you, so yeah. you don't, you, you're not, you're not, no, 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 that? we'll be fussed at all. No, 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 no whatsoever. All right, well, uh, there's another man on this podcast, so I'll just throw the same question at you, Gorsley. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, there you go. Maybe. Maybe to an extent. He seems to... I don't agree with it. I think I, I made the point, I can't remember whether, whether I wrote it now or, or said it, or maybe I've just just thought it, but he seems to be, he'll cover all the ills, won't he? Sign him and then he's just mm-hmm. like a magic wand. And I think Liverpool's midfield problems go a bit deeper than the signing of, of just one player now, no, 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 however good he is. I was actually looking at the options today on the club's official site and it's just, it's just so both ends of the spectrum. You've got Harvey Elliott and Carvalho, and at the other end you've got Henderson and Thiago and Milner, who are all you know early to mid thirties. Um, 
Curtis Jones is, is down the other end with, with Elliot. The only one who's kind of in his prime at the moment is Fabinho, and, and I think there might be something in that as to why his form has kind of tailed off, because he's probably getting too much asked of him. Um, Naby Keita's into the final few months of his deal, Locksley Chamberlain is, Milner only signed a one-year extension. So Liverpool will need more than, than just one midfielder. And, and I, I think maybe this is why FSG have looked at it, actually, and thought we, we're best looking at what we can bring into the club here because we can't afford you know, one top midfielder now is anywhere between 60 and 100 million, isn't it? And Liverpool need two and maybe even three. Um, so I do think that there is this thing that oh, if Liverpool get Bellingham, everything will be fine and, and they'll be back to kind of where they were, what, six, six or seven months ago. Um, for how good he is, I think Liverpool will will need a couple more in, in that area next summer. Okay, well, I've got two more questions for you both here before we before we say goodbye. Um, one of them, Doily, is there's been a lot of worry about the impact of Ian Graham, um, whose departure was announced alongside that of, of Julian Wards last week. Um, his departure, a lot of worries around that. Do you think they're, they're well placed? Well, they're going to replace him if they haven't already because uh, Ian Graham handed his notice in, was it, in the summer? Yeah. They gave him the year's notice. So, wouldn't be too worried about that, no. No, Dory's not worried, Corsi. Are you worried about? Possibly. I mean, it, it's, 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 one of the, it's one of those areas of the club, isn't it? That, you know, not a lot of us know know a whole lot about. Um, you know, you 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 kind of rank and file supporter will have absolutely no idea what Ian Graham does behind the scenes, and, and we're only a little bit more clued up because we, we cover the club day in day out. I mean, he's the head of research, isn't he? So he's, he's the head of that department, but it's a six man department. You know, Tim Waskett and. Stafford Steer, Will Spearman, a um, couple of marks in there as well, whose surnames are escaping me at the moment. Maybe it's a case of, of promoting from within, the, the way Liverpool have done, you know, with Julian Ward coming in for Mike Ed, Michael Edwards. Maybe it's a case of Will Spearman, for example, who, who were always kind of highly rated in that in that kind of data sphere, if you like. Maybe it's a case of him moving up, I don't know. But um, there is, I can, I can see why there would, would be some trepidation as, as to why I believe him for people who, a little bit more tuned in as to what he does. Um, I was at the, the Stats Bomb conference when he was guest speaking a little over a year ago, and it, it was fascinating kind of detail on how, how they were. Um, I remember him doing like a kind of hypothetical, um, we're on the search for the striker, and we've only got 25 to 30 million to, to play with. Um, these are the list of the, of the strikers across Europe, but we can't go for them because he's too old, injury prone, he'll cost too much. Probably not good enough, and he whittled it down to to he got to about two or three options, and then it was like, so these are these are the people who we go to the scouting department with and, and recommend, and then possibly they look in, into it a little bit more, watching them live and whatever else. And it was really fascinating the way he detailed it. Um, and I know that their work is mostly honed towards recruitment, um, and he's one of the absolute leaders of his field, but. Um, Possibly Liverpool will have a contingency plan with, you know, promoting from within. I'm not sure. That's just me kind of as a little bit of a guess. But um, in terms of, you know, you, you, you know, you, you hesitate to use the word normal supporter, but you, you, your traditional fan, I guess. I'd, I'd be, I wouldn't be getting too worried. I guess. Data sphere is a great word, by the way. Data sphere is a very good word. Uh, what I would say is, um, 
as they are replacing him, uh, I don't think there's any, you know, anybody is suggesting that Liverpool are ditching analytics, whether that's in terms of preparation for games or transfers. Is, that's very much wide of the mark, as they say. Uh, and as one of our former colleagues, he'd probably call it hogwash. So uh, <laughs> I think it's fair to say Liverpool are still carrying on using analytics like every other major team is. So, you know, it's served Liverpool so well so far. Why on earth would they choose to stop using it? My, my quick theory on this is, I mean, it, it's not so much... Is it a hypothetical theory or is it a real it's, one? It's not. It's not so much the um, the people who are departing. But not, I'm not saying that they're, they're not very, very good at the job. I'm sure they are. But, like, I always think of it as, like, you know, the assistant manager, everyone said, Buvac leaving... 2018 was it when when he left, and they'd say he's the you know he quite literally was the was he the was he the eyes or the brain? I always get confused. He was the brain. He so he, quite literally, the the brains behind Jurgen Klopp was leaving, and and Klopp's magic would 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 wear off, and and lo and behold, he was absolutely fine, and and Pep Linders is now rated as high, if not higher than than Buvac ever was, and I think people put a lot of. I put a lot on these people that they don't see work in the in the in the daily basis, and like you say, Gorsley, there's there's a team of six people there, and and Ian Graham, I'm sure, was was brilliant as Julian Ward, as Michael Edwards was, but they'll move on, and there'll be other people that they can promote and give jobs to that I'm sure could do it could do a very good job. So um, I think it's more my more worry is more the why they are leaving rather than who's leaving because for two fairly big names in that team to leave at once. You know, it would be interesting to know why they've made that decision, especially Julian Ward after. Well, it'll just be a year in the role, won't it? Once he once he does depart. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. And and finally, one more question, um, Sven Mislintat. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, it could be wrong. Um, it was obviously at Dortmund with with Klopp. Um, had a had a, a role in the signings of the likes of Lewandowski, Bamiyang, Hummels. Gundogan, um, some of the the biggest stars that played for Klopp at Dortmund, and then was at Arsenal as well as and, and didn't do so well. Has been linked with the role, but but Doyle, it feels very much like a Mister Mislintat linking himself with Liverpool rather than the other way around. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, and then of course, then the following day he was on the reports. Some reports in Germany were unlinking him. So were well, they? I didn't see them. Yeah, whether or not. I don't know. It's just a start, isn't it? Let's face it, Julian Ward only it was confirmed he was going last week. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we've got an awful long long more lot more of this to come. So until Liverpool do announce who's replaced him, if indeed they do decide to replace and bring in a sporting director, because obviously they're doing the review of the whole way things are, are, are going, the whole process mm-hmm. of football operations, which will include include the transfers. I mean, I'd be surprised if they didn't bring one in because it's worked so well for them over the past, you know. Was it seven, eight years? Certainly with Jurgen Klopp, though, and he's used to it. So, uh, yeah, wait and see. But yeah, it looks as though uh, Mr. Sven and his lovely hair, he uh, he probably uh, it, a bit premature of linking him in terms of actual interest from Liverpool at the very most. Ghost, sorry, and Gorsi, do you think it would be one where they'll go and recruit from outside, or you know, because that 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 brings its own change, doesn't it? A new man presumably wants to bring in new people or do you think it's one where they might look to promote with from within and and look to to continue the success that they've had yeah i'm not not really sure who, who's there now to, to promote from within david would find took over the lone pathways managers mm-hmm. didn't he and i know he, he had a hand in bringing in luis diaz 
in January he, he was part of the delegation that flew out to uh, Argentina, was it? When when they kind of cobbled together the medical there, um, possibly that's one area that they'll look at. But I think it's, I think if they do bring in from if they do recruit externally, I think <clears throat> it'll have to be under the guise of you're not going to be talking in the same way that Julian Ward and Michael Edwards do yeah. or, or didn't. Um, very much the personality to shun the spotlight. Um, now, would an external sporting director have a similar ethos? Because I know that they, they speak quite regularly in, you know, on the continents in, in Italy or Spain or, or Germany, that they're often quite outspoken and more often than not, you've, you've heard of them, even though you, you, you know, you don't follow that club. We all know, you know, we, we could name a few, couldn't we? The likes of Monchi and mm-hmm. one or two others who, um, become personalities in their own right. I don't think Klopp would be too happy with that because he likes to keep a lid on things, certainly around transfers. So if um, you've got a sporting director who's speaking regularly to whoever it will would be, I think that might cause a little bit of a, of a, um, a rock in the boat situation and I don't think Klopp would be too keen at that. So maybe, maybe that's one of the aspects that he might take into consideration. But I do what he says. I don't think they're, they're looking too close at it at the moment. Either you've got a busy couple of weeks coming up in Dubai, and then the, the return to the return to competitive action is going to be absolutely chocker for months. So um, Julian Ward's still got to navigate a, a massively important January as as the sporting director. Spot on. Well, cheers, gents. Um, that's all for now. We'll be back on Monday to discuss England Senegal. I'm sure and look ahead to that trip to Dubai. So thanks very much for listening, and see you then. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.